Welcome to another episode of Living an Ultra Life. My name is Mike, and I am so excited to be your host this week. Jenny filled in for me last week while I was out running Swami Shuffle 200. So this week you get to put up with a Swami Shuffle 200 recap and kind of lessons learned. I will I will just tell you, if I were to sum this up in one sentence and we were to end this this episode in true forever girlfriend fashion in less than a minute, this was the most amazing, most difficult thing I have ever done in my life. And it was absolutely worth it, and I would do it all again in a heartbeat. But since you want a little more than a minute, I will tell you a little bit more. So we're at the start line, and uh, James Huller, who is the one of the race directors with Josh Forsberg, he starts out and and he said something right before the start that just absolutely stood with me. And I'm sort of paraphrasing a little bit, but... He said, you know, we're doing this race to raise awareness and funds to prevent veterans uh, suicide because 22 American veterans commit suicide every day. That's over 8,000 a year. That's way more than we lost during the entirety of the Afghanistan and Iraq war. We've covered that thing ad nauseum, but it still needs to be repeated because you know, the whole reason this race exists with awareness and and that is letter N action dot org is to get veterans involved so that they can be part of community again so that they won't commit suicide. So it was an honor to run the race in the first place. But right at the very beginning, James said there are going to be moments and there are going to be times during this race where you want to give up. And I want you to remember at that moment that there are veterans who don't have the choice about whether to give up because they don't have right now that mental fortitude and the strength to push through the pain, to push through the depression, to push through the things that are causing them to want to just end it all. And so he said, when you reach that moment, dig deep and pull out of it. He said, the lowest low, when you reach the lowest low, you can't go any lower. Just remember, it's all up from there. And I, you know, race directors do that kind of stuff. And, you know, it's always, yeah, let's do this thing. But, you know, I did my usual. I went to the very, very back of the line, which, you know, there were only 18 of us who started. So how far back in the line could I be? But I watched Aaron Isles and... Sally Hernandez and Andrea Beasley and Sergio Diaz. And I think there was one other runner that just took off and they were like, bing! And I'm like, okay, I'll never see them again. Yeah, that's that's the last time I'm going to see them until, you know, I see them possibly on the road coming back, you know, from the turnaround because, you know, they'll have probably, I, in my head, I'm going, I am a slow old man. I will see Aaron Isles probably in duck on my way out, and he's going to be on his way back. That's how fast he looked at the beginning and how strong. He was an amazing athlete. It was really fun watching him. So I went to the very back, and so I ended up in the back with uh, Guy Taller and Mike Edwards. Guy Taller is the Wild Oak Trail race director, and uh, that's something that I, I fantasize about running, but in the back of my head, I'm like, I have gone and done part of the Wild Oak Trail and gotten so lost 
that I'm not sure I want to do this in a race because, you know, I think for the 100, you have to do four loops. And for the 200, you have to do eight loops. And I'm thinking I would be out there for the length of the 200 doing one loop because I would be so lost that I may end up, you know, in the middle of West Virginia, could possibly end up in Ohio, who knows. But I could get desperately lost out there. So um, maybe someday I will do the Wild Oak Trail race. I don't know. We're just, yeah, we're praying about it. But um, Mike Edwards, it was his second Swami. And so as we're starting out, I'm to like, I'm like pinging Mike Edwards. I'm like, okay, so, you know, give me a little hint. Well, Mike was just, he was a blast, man. He was like, okay, so I know that there's a pizza place and that when we get to the pizza place, I'm going to stop and I'm going to have my first beer. And I was like, okay, so a little bit different focus than me because I'm not thinking about beer at all during this race. And so it was fun, but he had great tips about, you know, what to do when your feet get sore. Just really, you know, I listen to, you know, people that have experience doing these things. And so, you know, kind of hung out with them, first part of the beach and everything. And then I took off on my run-walk interval. And I had a very, very strong power walk at the beginning. I was keeping it in the 13s and the 14s on the sand. That was a lot of fun. Probably at some point we crossed the Virginia line. And that's when I started kind of hanging out with Jonathan Kling. Dude's amazing. Five kids army veteran. Yeah, really, really neat kid. Enjoyed spending some time with him and talking about some really cool mutual things that we have, kind of a a dream of doing overseas and everything. Just really, really fun kid. I really enjoyed him and uh, I wish him a lot of luck. It was just fun spending time with him. As we're getting pushed further up into the soft sand, Edward Richardson, EJ Richardson, came trotting up behind us. It was really fun. At the very beginning, he had to sing uh, happy birthday to his five-year-old daughter, Aurora, who he couldn't spend the birthday with because he was starting Swami Shuffle. And so, you know, we all sang happy birthday to Aurora. And that was a lot of fun. He has two other kids also. And he was just really strong. I mean, he's just kind of trotting along, you know, had a good pace going. I thought, okay, he passed us. I was like, I'll never see him again. It's kind of the theme of my race. I mean, people would pass and I'd go, well, that's the last time I'll ever see them again. I had no idea where I was in position in the race because I wasn't really keeping track of it. So this is kind of in the back of my head as I was thinking is, you know, when we started out this race, there were, there were only 18 of us. And so in the back of my head, I sort of got this picture of what it would be like for soldiers going off to war and you know small squadrons in the iraq and the afghanistan war you know they would go out and there'd be 15 to 20 of them out on patrol well that was kind of what swami shuffle sort of felt like you know and you're setting off into the twilight there's a lot of things that are unknown and you had a camaraderie with all the other competitors out there because there weren't a lot of us first of all And so you wanted to kind of get to know the others that were out there. So that's why I'm kind of mentioning some of these names and everything, because they're people who had an impact on me during this race because they all spent a little bit of time with me and they all had an impact on me. And I I think it's very similar to that impact that, you know, soldiers who are off at war have minus 
the bullets and the bombs and the wounds and the gore and the being terrified of what lays around every corner. I can't imagine that. I, that's that's what causes the PTSD, I believe, in the soldiers. And it's probably one of the biggest reasons that when they separate from the service and they don't have that around them anymore, the, that lack of community is why a lot of them don't have a, they can't find their purpose and why it becomes easier to end it than to continue to try and fight through this strange thing called life. So the sand part of it, the first 20 miles, it was hard, but probably 14 miles of it, we were on hard packed sand down at the beach because the tide was out just enough that we were still in the hard sand. Well, when the high tide hit, we pushed up into the soft sand, and the last six miles were... They were tough. I will tell you that I'm sitting there going, holy smokes. I was like, at one point, I was like, please, God, I want low tide when I'm coming back. I didn't know what time I would be coming back, but I was like, man, do I want low tide because this soft sand, oh, my. Like, I worked muscles that I didn't even know I had and worked them hard. And so finally hit the road and was just such an amazing feeling. Saw James and Josh come cruising out on a truck. That was kind of fun. So we saw them come out and then we saw them. There was a little pullout and there was like all kinds of cool people there. Wendy Murray came out. She um, ended up pacing Joey Lichter and Andrea Beasley at some point. It was just fun seeing all these people. Got a big hug from Wendy. Wendy is one of my I'm a big Wendy Murray fan. She's just an amazing woman, does some amazing things in the ultra running community. So those of you who don't know Wendy Murray, get to know her because she'll throw tips out to you. She'll give you little suggestions. And my goodness, she's just the most amazing, encouraging human being that I've ever met. And so it was it was just so much fun to see her there. And then, of course, you know, I finally make it to the lighthouse about 23 miles in. And there is my sweet forever girlfriend and her her friend, Jennifer. And so we sat down, washed my feet off with all the sand, got a change of socks on, put a different pair of shoes on, repacked my pack, refilled all my fluids. She had some chicken and mashed potatoes for me. So I had a really good lunch of really, really solid lunch of chicken and mashed potatoes. And that was a welcome relief. So that was the first time of the race that I was crewed. I knew that I had stuff there. We're going to get to the difference between crewed and uncrewed and a word that I'd never heard before, but definitely agree with. So met Jenny there and then she and Jennifer took off to head back to Hampton Roads because she had to go to work on Monday. At that point, I knew that Okay, I've got a good 27, 28 miles to make it to my first stopping point, which in the back of my head, I wasn't actually going to stop at Karen Sanzo's place. I was just going to kind of make a stop in, pick her up as a pacer and keep going as far as I could go that first night. In the back of my head, I was like, I'm not going to stop because, you know, I know I can do more than 50 miles. So I was like, yeah, tough guy. I'm just going to keep on going. Well, that kind of changed. Because I began to realize that I get kind of a little bit loopy. And so that first night, I about the 14-hour mark, I was still probably about three miles from Karen's house. And I'm thinking, wow, I think I just need just a little bit of a nap. And so I got to Karen's house probably about 9.15. She had bought me some chicken. 
So I'm scrambling, I'm recharging all my batteries, my phone, recharging my watch, recharging my headlamp, recharging you know my flashy lights. Because when I stopped, I was like, look, we're going to take off somewhere around one o'clock. I was like, I want to be on the road no later than 1.30 a.m. So this was at nine, I think I got there about 9.15 p.m. And I'm like, okay, I want to be on the road by 1.30 a.m. So she went to go lay down and get some sleep. And I finished doing all my stuff, took a nice shower, tried to lay down. That did not work real well, could not find a comfortable position. Just, you know, my body was, I was still hyped. I was still ready to roll, but I knew I needed to get vertical a little bit and get a little bit of the pressure off my feet. And so I got my feet up a little bit and I dozed for probably about an hour or so. And then, you know, one o'clock hit and I was like, okay, we got to get up, got to go. And, you know, so I got all my my pack all packed, got as much fluid as I possibly could. I made a mistake. This is one of the one of the mistakes I made at that point. I should have had Karen pick me up some more water and a Gatorade, but I didn't. So it was stop at the 7-Eleven to refill all that stuff. And uh, so we made a stop at 7-Eleven on our way out of Nags Head. And we hit the road and saw the most amazing sunrise as we're on the Bonner Bridge, which is named something else now, but we're still just going to call it the Bonner Bridge. So Karen and I were just graced with such an amazing, beautiful sunrise. And I will tell you, for those of you who don't know Karen Sanzo, she is the race director of It's Just a Training Run. She runs a bunch of races. Next one coming up will be the May 14th Backyard Ultra. Then June 10th, I believe it is, or June sometime, it's the 10-hour Windsor Castle. Um, and then after that will be Joe's Night Race at the Hamptons. Then Sandy Bottom, 8-hour. But Karen is just an amazing race director, one of my favorites. She's also a very, very good runner who showed very, very good patience in keeping up with my slow, very slow body that did not have... A speed button at all but she she did a great job she paced me 24 miles to the p island visitor center and i'm telling you that's a feat at that point kyle vanick came along and he picked karen up and took her back to her house and i set off and kyle met me then right before the jug handle bridge and so he parked at the Liberty gas station and came back and accompanied me over the jug handle bridge. And here's where mistake number two came in. I thought I had enough water, scratch, fuel in my soft flask and you know, a flask of Gatorade to make it from the 7-Eleven at Jeanette's Pier all the way to the Liberty Island gas station. About a mile from jug handle bridge. I sucked down the last of the water in my water bladder that's in my pack. I had already sucked down the scratch. I had already sucked down the Gatorade. And I was like, hmm, this is going to be an interesting three-mile bridge run. Fortunately, Kyle is very smart, and he had a bottle of water. So that got me up and over the jug handle bridge, which I'm just going to whine here for just a second. So when you're going south, you want to just continue in the direction of south. The Jug Handle Bridge takes you like 20 miles west. Okay, it's not 20 miles west, I realize that, but it feels like you're going 20 miles west to loop back in and go south. I just want to go south. I don't know why they built the bridge to go west. 
So they go south. But, you know, engineers do this thing, so they must have had a reason. So whatever, I won't blame them too much. And so got over that, had a good meal of chicken tenders and stuff at the Liberty Gas Station, got through Salvo, and then began the trek between Salvo and Avon. And I had another little dilemma here. So Kyle was kind enough to give me about an hour, hour and a half nap at Salvo, which was the rescue of me I really needed. I know there were some runners that passed me during that point, but I was like, I don't care about position. I just need a nap. And so took a good hour, hour and a half nap there. And the 12 miles between Salvo and the north side of Avon are just boring and desolate. All there, there's no, you can't see the water on either side. All you can see is trees. And there was so stinking much traffic that Monday afternoon. I was like, where is everybody going? It was just crazy. And the other thing that I was dealing with was knowing that Kyle had to take off at five o'clock. And so I knew he was meeting me on the north end of Avon and then he was going to take off. And so in the back of my head is I am on my own from this point on. There's nobody going to have water for me. There's nobody going to have anything for me. And now I understood what Kim Drake and Amy Adams meant when they said, oh, you're going screwed. <laughs> yeah, that's what it means to go uncrewed. You're screwed. Every decision is now on you. And I knew I had about 140 miles of screwed time on my feet to go. So met Kyle at the last part where I was going to see him. That was probably... I don't know, I would say I was probably 90 plus miles in, maybe 95 miles in. So I was about to hit my first 100 miler. Felt great and everything, but wasn't really that sore. Just not moving fast, but just moving. So now you're in that point that it's dark, it's lonely, and I'm between Avon and Buxton. And, and for those of you who don't know, the Cape Hatteras Lighthouse, you can see from the outskirts of Avon, blinking. It's six, well, it's seven and a half miles away from the outskirts of Avon. And you see that lighthouse twirling in the dark and twirling in the dark and twirling in the dark. So Kyle had made a suggestion. You know, I was going to just get a hotel when I got there. He was like, maybe you should call. So I had called at 530 and I was so glad I was called because... As I was talking to the gal at the Outer Banks Motel, she's like, yeah, so will you be here by 6? And I was like, <laughs> I just laughed. I was like, no, there's no way I'm going to be there by 6. She's like, okay, so the office closes. We'll just put it in an envelope out in front. And I was like, oh, praise God that Kyle had the, had the foresight to be able to think, call beforehand. So I slept at the Outer Banks Motel. So the debate I had as I was getting into town was I knew there was one convenience store that was supposed to be open until 10, but... As I got into town, I looked, and that convenience store was closed. I am completely out of water, everything, don't have anything to eat for the night. There's no restaurants open. I was like, okay, so I'm just going to go up, and I had some peanut butter and pistachios and a little bit of Gatorade left. I was like, I'm just going to suck that down. So I got in the hotel, and thus began one of the most painful nights of my entire life as I cramped and had spasms. My legs had sh like shooting pain. It felt like somebody was picking, putting a nice pick in every single muscle I had in my legs. And so 
you know, what I thought was going to be a good night's sleep ended up being maybe two hours at the most. But to the point where at four o'clock, I literally got out of bed, could not walk to the bathroom, crawled to the bathroom, said, screw this, got dressed, got everything in my pack and set off for the lighthouse, praying that something would be open on my way back from the lighthouse so that I could gas up with some water and some Gatorade and get something fluid in my body. And, uh, yeah, so I got up to the lighthouse around 5.30ish in the morning, tapped the fence and set out and there was a bait and tackle shop that had just opened. The dude came out. He was, you know, putting the rug out in front and everything. And I was like, do you have water and stuff? He's like, yeah, we got water and Gatorade. It was like any food. He was like, bait? <laughs> Didn't want to eat bait. So I got everything. I refilled all my fluids and stuff there and I set out for Avon and got to Avon and had a lovely uh, bacon and egg biscuit and Avon with a cup of coffee. That was my fuel. I refilled all my waters and my Gatorade and re-shook up some scratch and took off for that 12 miles between Avon and Salvo. At some point in here, I caught up with Andrea Beasley, who I thought was really, really far ahead of me. And so I spent a little bit of time with Andrea into Salvo. Her and her husband were hurrying because she wanted a grilled cheese sandwich at the Liberty gas station. And this is where I've just got to say this. The heat was just about overwhelming. It's only like 10 o'clock in the morning at this point. And I mean, the heat is just intense. So I get to the Liberty gas station, get my shoes off, get myself a grilled cheese sandwich, get all my fluids refilled, uh, get some snacks for the 23 miles between the jug handle bridge and where you make the turn to go into Nags Head. And knowing that there's nothing, uh, Jenny and I decided I'd stay at the Comfort Inn at Jeanette's Pier. And so she was she was awesome. She reserved a room for me there. And so I was like, okay, I know I've only got like a 51, 50, you know, 51-ish mile day. So no problem. We'll just, you know, get through here and everything. But I'm sitting there eating my grilled cheese sandwich and some chips and sucking on a Coke and everything. And I'm thinking about the heat. And I just go, God, if there's any way that you could do something about this heat, because I was debating whether to take like another half liter of water or so just so I could dump on my head to cool myself off. And I was like, man, I really don't want to carry the weight because you've already got 25 pounds on your back. You know, you're carrying everything that you need with, you know, all your food and everything. It's like another two pounds just seemed like a lot of weight. And so I was like, God, just do something about the, the sun and the intensity of it beating down on me. Get up on the jug handle bridge and I look over to my right. And I see this fog bank, weirdest thing I've ever seen in my, in my life, rising up out of a little piece of the sound that's between the jug handle bridge and the bunch of big houses and stuff that are right there. And this fog bank all of a sudden just covers us. By the time I'm to the top of the, you know, halfway through the jug handle bridge, the fog is completely covering us. The temperature dropped at least 10, maybe 15 degrees. And it was just like, it was just like this cooling, you know, like you go under the cooling fans. It was like you had this cooling fan under you and it was just fantastic. So I, I, I was blessed, man. So I booked it and got to the um, P Island Visitor Center and Andrea and Sergio were both there. 
And so I was like, whoa. So I went and used the restroom, resorted my pack, you know, kind of uh, there was a there was I had a weird balance in my pack. And so I just kind of resorted my pack and was like, all right, let's hit the Bonner Bridge. Maybe I can get over the Bonner Bridge before the sun sets, because I was thinking, man, with the fog and the sun setting, I'm not sure I want (laughs) North Carolina drivers are awesome for the most part. I would say 99.9% of the drivers are awesome. 0.1% of the drivers scare the bejesus out of you. And uh, so I was a little concerned and I was like, maybe you could lift the fog. I just got to tell you, I stepped out of the visitor center bathroom and I'm getting ready to hit the road again. And all of a sudden the sun comes shining through like the brightest that you could ever possibly imagine. So, you know, I got all my lights out and everything and I'm just like, I'm ready for, you know, okay, you know, (laughs) I got to be well lit on this bridge because I don't trust the drivers. I'm just telling you, it was, it was awesome. It was just the most amazing thing. Got to the Bonner Bridge, saw a beautiful sunset. So now I've got to see a beautiful sunrise and a beautiful sunset on the Bonner Bridge. Andrea caught up with me. Sergio went running past us in a dead out sprint up the bridge and down the bridge. Don't know what was up with that. I don't know where he got that energy because I wasn't sprinting. Uh, Andrea and I kind of stuck together and then we got off the bridge and Wendy Murray met her and then Andrea and her, I guess Andrea had a burst of energy too because they just took off sprinting down the road. They're probably not sprinting, but it feels like sprinting when you're not moving that fast. So I've got about nine miles to the hotel from this point. So it's just pitch black dark and yeah, there there were some tough times in there. There were some really, really low times where it's like, why the hell am I doing this? My feet are absolutely killing me. I mean, just my left little toe, I knew that there was something up because it felt like it was on fire. I get to the Comfort Inn, get my sock off, find out why. Got this blister that has taken over the whole toe. It's like covered the entire toe, but it's not like a poppable blister, it's just red and raw looking. And I was just like, oh God. So I, you know, tape it up, you know, get some moleskin on it and just go, okay, well, we'll hope for the best. Try to get some sleep. Failure again. Probably got about three or four hours sleep, but something just told me to wait a little bit. And so I didn't get started until 7.30 in the morning. Stocked up at the um, 7-Eleven on my way out. Got a bunch of food. Got a blueberry muffin to eat and nice cup of coffee. And I set out and, you know, I'm just clipping along, you know, through Neg's Head, through Kill Devil Hills. Now, you know, I'm getting to Kitty Hawk. In Kill Devil Hills, I caught up with Sergio again. I don't know how. He had left like an hour and a half before I did. Somehow I caught up to him. Andrea had slept at the Jolly Rogers, so I knew I wasn't going to see her the rest of the day, and I never did. Yeah, it was just, it was, it was quite the experience. Took a little nap on a, at one of the public beach accesses. They had this bench that you could actually sit with your back against this rail and put your feet up. And so I took probably about a 30, 40 minute nap, stopped at uh, Art's place and had a chicken sandwich, which was divine. I, I was telling Jenny, I said, I actually don't know what it tasted like, but At the time, it was the best chicken sandwich I've ever had in my entire life. And so that was like at noon. And um, I just took off and just, you know, I had, I restocked the BP, made sure I had enough fluids because I knew the next gas station that I could stop at was a BP and duck. And so I was like, I got to top off there. 
And then I, my next plan was to hit the Harris Teeter because it was on the left. And, you know, so it was going to be on the on my side so I wouldn't have to cross the road to get to it because the debate was Harris Teeter or Food Line. So I knew I was going to stop. I was going to try and get something to eat at the Harris Teeter, make sure I had more batteries for my headlamp, charge my phone because I noticed that I forgot to charge my phone the night before. So I didn't have any power. Got to <laughs> Here's a funny story. So the Sanderling Resort is a beautiful place but they don't like homeless looking people. So I stopped and the conference center has this, it's just this big empty conference center. There's nothing there. And I'm just, you know, sitting on the floor, stretched out, charging my phone. And this dude comes in and he's like, excuse me, sir, this building is closed and we can't have any homeless people here. I was like, okay, I'm just charging my phone. He's like, this building is closed. You'll have to leave. So the nice man at, you know, Sanderling Resort kicked me out, which, you know, if I, if, if I encountered somebody who smelled as bad as I did at that point, I'd kick them out too. So I didn't get my chip phone all the way charged. So I was like, okay, at Harris Teeter, I know they got the little thing where the carts plug in. So I'll just sit there, eat my dinner and go from there. Well, I ended up catching up to Sergio. And so for the next 12 hours, I guess maybe 10 hours, I don't know how long, a long time. Sergio and I spent a long time together because we spent all the way from Harris Teeter. I got Sergio's full life story. He's an amazing young man, has an amazing call on his life, and I can't wait to see what he ends up becoming because he's, he's a special person. Just as we're hitting the sand, we got to see the Corolla ponies like up close and personal because we like rounded a corner and almost ran into one <laughs> that would have been a disaster uh hit the 20 miles of sand and thus began the final journey of swami shuffle 200 and it was hard and it was at times i wanted to give up and every time i wanted to give up i remember what james said and i would pray for veterans pray for our veterans every time i would feel like giving up what i would do is i'd just say god give them strength and take the focus off myself and I put it on somebody else. I pray for the other runners that were behind me. I didn't realize there were that many runners behind me. I didn't realize that four had dropped. So, you know, I was praying for them because I know what it's like to DNF. It stinks and it's not a good feeling. So I was praying for them. And so I spent my whole time on the beach just taking my mind off myself by praying for other people. I prayed for runners in the Hampton Roads area that I really care about that God would give them strength, that he would give them successful races in the future. I prayed for my parents. I prayed for my amazing, wonderful, forever girlfriend, Jenny. I prayed for Sergio. I prayed for Andrea. I prayed for the other runners that were still in the race, that they would finish their race with with strength and that they would finish it successfully. I prayed for the race directors a lot because they spend their own money doing this thing. And this is not a moneymaker race. So, you know, those of you who think, you know, race directors all make good money. Yeah, not not this one. You know, these guys spend way more than they'll, they could even think about making, except that, you know, 100% of what they bring in for this thing goes straight to helping veterans. Amazing, amazing people. So, so the last gut punch was I did the math wrong. I know it's hard to believe that after 90 hours that, that you could do math wrong. I thought that we were where the sand ends a mile before we were. And pulled my phone out and just kind of hit the little GPS thing on my, my trail map thing. And looked and said, oh, Sergio, bad news. We got another mile to go. 
And I'm telling you, I think both of our spirits deflated at that point. But we both just said, all right, let's just get her done. And, you know, it's like dig deep. We're at the very top of the beach and all the loose sand. And Virginia, drivers on the sand, you're rude. All right. So in North Carolina on the sand, there's like lanes and they stay in the lanes. And so they get sort of hard packed and they don't like weave their trucks around so that, you know, they can make cool little grooves in the sand. I think Virginia drivers get on the sand. They go, wee, look, man, there's fresh sand there. Let's make some grooves. And so when you're trying to walk the beach and you're trying to move on the beach, you're dealing with all these grooves in the beach from the rude Virginia drivers who think that it's cool to make these grooves in the sand. Plus, you've got tide coming in, so you're having to look to your right and you know watch you know and see how high the tide that wave's coming in, so that you don't get your feet wet. The last mile was excruciating, man. But we'd already had ten of them, so what the heck? So we hit the road, man, and I'm telling you, I probably let out the biggest shout that I've ever done in my life because I was like, I, a 58, almost 59 year old man, am less than two miles from finishing a 220-mile foot race on my own, using my own wit to logistically make sure I've got enough water, make sure I've got enough fuel to get there. I have successfully done all my sleeps. I was I was so excited, and I was also overwhelmed at what I had just done. When we made the left turn, I'm just going to admit this, I burst out in tears um, because I could see up at the gate, my wife standing there with Sherry, the race director's mom. And I just burst out. I was crying and I'm not afraid to admit that. I was just the feeling that I had at that point that I had done something that looked impossible was just overwhelming. And it's the Sunday after I finished. And, you know, I couldn't tell you about Thursday. I finished Thursday right before 5.30 a.m. and 93 hours, 40, I think, or something like 93 hours and 40 minutes. 58, almost 59 years old. The very first time I've done any type of race like this. Screwed because I didn't have a crew seeing to my every need. Having to think through what to put in the pack, how much to put in the pack, all that stuff. And I realized just how much I'm capable of. And so when it hit me that I had just done something that seems impossible, seems really, really impossible. And I'm telling you what, I just said, there is what my God is capable of. So you wonder why I'm a, I'm a Jesus follower You wonder why I'm a Jesus follower. It's for moments like this where you do something and you go, I didn't think that was possible, but it was possible. And what a feeling, man. And then to be able to walk the last half mile with my sweetheart. We've never been able to do that in a race before. But this time I was like, I'm in no hurry. Sergio took off their dead sprint to finish (laughs) to be young again. Jenny's like, do you want to go fast? And I was like, no, I want to hold your hand and I want to spend time with you because I want you to be a part of this, because Jenny is a part of this. I I finished this race because my wife prays for me. I know you think that's weird, but we all have special gifts and talents. Mine is moving. 
Hers is praying. She's an amazing person who over almost 37 years of marriage has never failed to pray for me. So go ahead, find me a better friend than that. Somebody who's willing to pray for you through thick and thin, through some of the worst and some of the best times in life. That's the best friend you'll ever have in life. And so that's why I wanted to cross this finish line with her. And it's been awesome. It's been incredible. I've gone through some incredible pain, popping some really ugly blisters on my feet. My feet were swollen to probably twice the size. I couldn't have even put them in my UFO's recovery sandals the first day. Finally got them in on Friday. That was awesome. Got into a pair of shoes today, and Jenny and I actually went for a good two and a half mile walk today. So I'm feeling good. So basically going to recover. We're going to seek and, and see, okay, what's the next thing? I already know what it is, so I'll just go ahead and announce it here. So my next big thing is I have never finished a 100 miler in less than 24 hours. So I am going to knuckle down and refocus all of my races on Cape Fear 24 hour. And I'm going to do some speed work and I'm going to do a lot more workouts, get my body into tremendous shape and strength. And we're going to do under 24 hour a hundred miler at Cape Fear 24 hour in October. And so that's my next big thing. So that's what living an ultra life is all about. I said it a lot during the race. I am living ultra and uh, I plan on continuing to live ultra well into my hundreds. And I want you guys to realize one thing. So as I leave, here's the thing. Attempt big things, dream big things, because you don't know how capable you are. You don't know what your capacity is yet because you haven't gone out of your comfort zone to be able to discover what it is yet. You may have already done big things to this point, but there are bigger things yet to come because you were built for greatness. You were designed for greatness and don't settle for average. Don't settle for comfort because you are special. I may not have met you yet, but I do that if you're listening to Living an Ultra Life podcast, You're special and you were built for greatness. So stop settling for comfort and go for greatness. That's it for this week's episode of Living and Ultralight. Thanks for listening.